Welcome Committee, I welcome you with open arms. Is that so? How late do you stay open? You don't understand. I could have had class. I could have been a contender. I could have been somebody. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. I hope they are watching. They'll see. They'll see and they'll know. And they'll say, that she wouldn't even harm a fly. What's up, everybody? You're listening to NoCo Cinema here on WGM+. We are your guide to cinema here in the city of Chicago. I am Tom Hush. And I'm Connor Cornelius. And we're so excited to be back with you for yet another week of Chicago film conversation. Uh, yet another week. Yet another week. Uh, yet another week of Chicago film talk. In all uh, stereotypical Italian, Italian accents. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we've had quite a quite a week, Connor. Yeah. Um, last Friday, I believe. Uh, You're right. Dating ourselves. You, be- you believe correct? I believe correctly. We were at the Gene Siskel Film Center. We were so lucky to be invited to intro and do a Q&A for Banana Season. You guys remember Sang Hoon Lee and yep. James Choi, Eve Rydberg, and uh, Brennan Stacker uh, all came in and we talked Banana Season and we had such a good time that we had to do it some more and this time in front of about 150 people. Yeah. So uh, thank you so much to those guys for inviting us. Um, we had a blast. Love the movie um, and excited to see you know what's in the future for them. Um, Connor, it's also October. Yeah. Uh, I think our last, we haven't had a, uh, a full on, not episodes. a formal discussion. Yeah. Uh, and, until this is our first one of October. I've been doing my 31 days. I've been doing my 31 horror films. Have you been giving it a shot? I've been doing it. I haven't done all horror. I haven't actually kept up with it every day. It's tough. But I'm at about eight, which I, I watched really? a couple in one day. And I mean, we are recording this on the 13th of October. That's mm-hmm. pretty good. Eight yeah. 13th, so I, I miss five, you know. Yeah. That's okay. I still well, I watch mean, movies, but not necessarily horror yeah, every day. It's exhausting after a while. And, you know, I, my plan is there's a, co- a few days I've missed. But uh, I plan on catching up with some double features. Right. Uh, there's a few a few good double features, I think, in, in my near future that'll help me get closer to that goal of 31. I don't think anybody I've ever met has been able to do it. Um, it's exhausting because even watching one movie a day alone can be a lot. Uh, but watching 31 horror films... And especially because a lot of horror films are not fantastic. Right. Well, it's know? hard when you live with people, too, right? Because yeah, then they, they don't like, want to watch it. I've got a small apartment in the living room is really not huge. And it's the only shared space that we have. So, you know, my roommates will come in and be like, hey, what are you watching? Let's watch a movie. It's like, fuck, The Witch again? Are you kidding me? <laughs> like, <laughs> we just watched this. We just watched but this But it's October. Yeah. Well, we'll be uh, we'll be keeping up. Keep up with us about that. We'll try. We'll throw some uh tweets out there about what we're watching uh maybe you can join along with us um right now i want to bring in our guest for this week he's the director of a fine film called rogers park which is now officially available on so many different platforms get it on amazon voodoo itunes uh voodoo yeah everyone's favorite walmart (laughs) subsidiary i love it love it um you know, this is a film. It ta- as as the name implies, takes place in Rogers Park in Chicago, a neighborhood that Connor and I are very familiar with. Yeah. Uh, as many people know, I'm an employee at the New 400 Theater in Rogers Park, one of the oldest continuously running movie theaters in America. And you um, also lived there for quite a while. Yeah, went to Loyola, and Connor, of course, as a result, has we've spent a lot of time together in Rogers Park. Yep. Um, I think it is one of the most special neighborhoods in Chicago. 
Um, and you know, part, I think my opinion is partially colored by the fact that I spent so much time there, spent a lot of my formative early adulthood there, but there's just something really about it that I think is, uh, just so fascinating and it feels quite different from a lot of places in Chicago, a lot of different neighborhoods. So it really, it really does. Yeah. Let's turn it on over to Mr. Kyle Henry, director of Rogers Park. Kyle, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Thanks for inviting me on the show. Uh, So Rogers Park, it's uh, there's been a lot of movies made about Chicago that try to capture the Chicago experience. Let's just get down to the nitty gritty. Why make a film about this neighborhood? Um, well, originally, me and the writer wanted to make a film about midlife crisis, um, something I know a little bit about. I'm of a certain age. And um, we wanted to tell a different kind of story. So Rogers Park is the neighborhood that we had lived in since coming here to Chicago in 2010. It's the most diverse neighborhood in the city. Um, the history of the city it's a wonderful uh, history filled of neighborhoods, but those neighborhoods sometimes become monocultures, you know, and you don't have people really interacting um, from different segments of society. And Rogers Park has people who are wealthy and people who are poor. It has people um, of all different ethnicities. Um, The most languages are spoken there of any neighborhood. It really, even within the city of Chicago, is incredibly unique. Um, And we didn't really know that. We just... um, had a real estate person take us around and, and forgot actually where our apartment was. And we showed up with a moving truck and we're like, oh, this neighborhood? I thought we were in Andersonville. Yeah, right. uh, <laughs> it wasn't the case. And it was great. Um, so we, there hadn't been a film yet made, I think, that was set in that neighborhood. And that's the Chicago I know. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it as you said, it is a very distinct neighborhood. Uh, incredibly diverse uh, in many in so many different ways, whether it's nationality. Um, I've recently noticed there's been a lot more uh, people of the LGBTQA plus community coming in and really feeling. I, I am of that community, well, and it's also a, an affordable neighborhood where yes. Andersonville where many such folk uh, also live is just not affordable (laughs) for a college professor, which I am. So it's a neighborhood I think that still is fairly affordable on the North side. Mm -hmm. And so I think you get a lot of people too, who um, until their children are of a certain age and they move to Evanston, you know, are going to (laughs) live in Rogers park. So it's a really special place uh, for, for a lot of different groups of people. And for you in personally, um, what was it about that place that, you felt it would be a nice place to shoot for like the setting of a midlife crisis, I suppose. Um, well, we did a really unique development process. We cast four actors through this amazing uh, casting company here, PR casting. Um, I did an open call for this where I literally sat down with people for 10 minutes each and asked them great actors. Why do you want to be in a film about midlife crisis? And then from there we picked in about 30 of maybe the 150 actors that we saw all incredible stage theater film actors of a certain age. And we ran them through their paces, uh, kind of speed dating and mix and match improv. And we found two couples that just felt like they were meant to be couples. And it just happened to be two interracial black, white couples. Um, that wasn't necessarily our intention. We didn't know if these couples were going to be gay, straight. It turned out to be two straight uh, couples. 
but I knew I wanted to play with those people. And so we kind of crafted the story around them. So before we even had written the script, um, and then we worked with them over the course of a year, kind of developing the script. Um, and they would do research, like they would follow, uh, people in Rogers park and, and shadow them, um, like a real estate uh, agent or somebody who worked at a, a um, a daycare center, and so I think, or, or an assistant to the alderman, and so the story started getting this kind of authenticity to it that was really rooted in the place. Where often you see films, you know, they're set in Chicago, and it's like, oh come on, you just flew in the actors for a day from LA, <laughs> right, you know? Right. And it's like, I do. I mean, God, God bless them, but I doubt that that person lives in that neighborhood or knows where anything is, and they kind of feel like they don't even have a job per se. They're just right. sort of like. And I'm in an office in Chicago, but right. it's about my love life. Um, so we really wanted to root it in like real jobs and real a real community. Um, and that's something we got. It, the film has been lauded, I think, for its authenticity and for a sense of almost kind of documentary realism. So developing this film, as you mentioned, you guys built the characters around the people. You brought in these actors and you developed as you went along. Uh, do you think more films could stand to benefit from that? Because you think of when you're casting, I think the general public thinks like, okay, the role is already there. Right. And then someone steps in and adapts to it. This idea of, you know, taking a person and letting the actor, I guess, have a little bit more control over where the character goes or have more of a hand in like, I think they would do this versus that. Um does could cinema stand to benefit from more of that type of casting or more of that kind of development? Um, the filmmakers whose work I really admire, um, Mike Lee or Ken Loach, who are from um, Britain, you know, kind of work that way, or the Dodan brothers um, also work this way, where I think you never get away from whoever's in front of the camera. Like, whoever you cast, whatever, they can even be a Marvel, you know, superhero. It's still that person. It's still that actor and whatever they bring we've not created virtual reality actors yet you know it's still that person so why not use their strengths and who they actually are to help uh tell the story I, you know our our work was supported by grants it's really hard to work for a year just on the script i think that's why a lot of films don't do this is because um you know they would rather have a writer being paid kind of working alone and then the script uh, be made um, but, uh, yeah, I think it, it results in something special, whether we should do this more or not. I would love to do it more. I would love to get more money to, to do it more. <laughs> um, and I, I think it could benefit telling stories that feel more true to where we're at, maybe even as a country right now. It does sound incredibly freeing to be able to work in such an improvisation heavy environment. It just seems like that it's just pure creation, pure creativity, probably from day to day. But what were the challenges? Was it challenging working in that format or was it something that just came extremely naturally every day? Well, the great thing was um, I have, was working with a great writer, Carlos Chavino, and so he would sort of take these tapes, these videotapes, audio tapes, and would be inspired by them to write the script. So we did have it when we actually did it for real. We had a locked script where no one was changing a word of dialogue, and they were acting it. And sometimes it would conform to the actor's memory of who the character was, and sometimes it was like this is completely different. And now they're doing this, and I was like, okay, go use their, your creativity and, and swing with it. So Carlos was always conscious of taking this realism and still crafting a good story. I think sometimes you see 
improv that feels like flailing around to find a story or right. I'm improving as fast as I can and talking about stuff that's coming out of my mouth but it's not really rooted in reality like we all know why we're here for this interview right now sometimes you get actors who feel like they just have to do stuff in front of the camera and they, yeah. and they don't really know their why they're there when they're improvis- improvising 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 so that root in reality i think is really uh what's so important about the film and especially capturing rogers park which is in in my estimation a neighborhood of people that are v- that are very rooted in where they are um, I feel like there's in Rogers Park, many of the people around know of the neighborhood's history, uh, whether depending on how far back it goes, it varies from person to person, but they know they're in a place that's not, you know, the uh, the Gold Coast right. where things do get a little bit monoculture. I really yeah, like that. I loved that. That was great because um, I thought immediately like every neighborhood that I've spent a lot of time in. Right. Kind yeah. Of River sort of North is that. Yeah. The, Shout out to the death of culture. River <laughs> North Chicago. <laughs> the most uncultured area. In... Yeah. I'm there's, just kidding. There's a sense of, um, you know, some people end up there because of circumstance, you know, sure. because of housing or other kinds of things. But there are people there who have been around for a really long time who are really engaged in politics um, who really take ownership. Our alderman has um, this thing called participatory budgeting, where every year we vote on what the money that is sort of doled out from the city that he has as discretionary funding um, can support. So that also creates like more engagement. Um, I just think it's a place, uh, yeah, where people are more intentionally living. Um, Mm -hmm. and are not afraid to talk to each other. I think we need to be talking more and more sort of over all of these divisionary boundaries. And first, proximity is the first thing you need in terms of having a conversation is literally just being in contact with people every day who who might not look like you. And that political engagement goes so far back, 50 years now, to the uh, Democratic Convention of 1968. Um, Heavy involvement from the folks in Rogers Park, um studs turkle had absolutely. his show at the heartland for years um barack obama uh was a no- definitely a known quantity within uh within rogers park during his run uh so many artists so many uh big thinkers so what did you do visually to try and capture rogers park other than just hey here's you guys know the heartland cafe you know you guys right. know uh this ann sather's over on the right on the border of edgewater like here's a little bit of loyola here's uh pratt beach you know what visually did you use to capture that neighborhood i think we relied on sort of our own understanding of the space one the murals you know there's i know there's murals all over chicago but that really struck me coming there was the murals were really diverse and reflected the sort of neighborhood. Another was the lake. I mean, I, I think some people are afraid of setting films in Chicago and showing the lake, but I think the lake is really a powerful force. And for me, being able to like walk a couple blocks, go out to that lake, whatever my problems are, you know, that mega force of nature is there that'll be there long after I die, like felt like something really that really should be showcased. And sometimes you see films shut in Chicago and it's like, you never see the water. It's like somehow yeah. we're just like concrete jungle. Yeah. Uh, CGI, CTA. <laughs> and just. Yeah. Exactly. And especially Rogers Park, the lake is so much a part of the neighborhood. There's so many access points to get over there. Like it's 
people in Rogers Park are very much Lake Michigan people, like in a, in a lot of ways. Going to the beach, they and live going, in Lake Michigan. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they, like it's like finding, right there. <laughs> finding the beach, like saved my life here with you know seasonal vitamin D deficiency um, being what it is, and also this the sense of the seasons changing. So we shot. The bulk of the film in 22 days, but then we had pickups over the course of the season. So it takes place, the film takes place over the course of the year. So you see fall, you see the depths of winter with like frozen Arctic tundra, lake, blizzard conditions. And then you see the kind of rebirth that takes place here uh, with spring. And that's all tied into sort of the year and the life of these characters. At some point when you were filming, did you ever find that because Rogers Park is so the the area is just so many different things like what isn't rogers park right is a, probably a better question what did was it ever difficult for you to find out or to decide on what part of rogers park you should be shooting in well you know we always just really focused in on the characters we have a character who's an assistant for an alderman a character who runs a daycare center a character who's sort of a, a real estate agent and is trying to flip a home and it does not go the way he uh, wants it to like that happened to many people in the crash in 2008 here and um another character uh who is a a struggling writer and i think when you focus on character but then set it in a place that helps narrow things down some people come to the film from rogers park and sometimes they're like this isn't a documentary you know this didn't show this aspect and this aspect and I say like a million films, you know, can be made in Rogers Park. That's what's so amazing about it. And, you know, if you're not seeing the film that you would like to see, go out and make it because it's it's available to you and accessible there in that neighborhood. Were people helpful in terms of or when when making the film? Um, were there any big hurdles in terms of shooting on location, anything like that? Because I know uh, one one of the more famous things about shooting in Chicago is that shooting on the CTA is like super difficult yeah. i know that's yeah. like one of the big restrictions you can't like shoot on the cta without very special permission um you mentioned that you guys had some grant money uh yeah what, what was the process of actually being in rogers park and what were those hurdles i think some of the hurdles we faced um were uh, crossed or helped uh by getting my alderman involved um partly to the park restrictions that i faced have changed and um ifp chicago really advocated for that and i helped kind of alert them to that they were sort of charging rates that would be appropriate for you know uh chicago fire but they didn't have like independent filmmaker rates and that that now has changed um and so i'm really sort of happy about that for student filmmakers from low budget filmmakers um, but the neighborhood was incredibly support, uh, supportive, you know, businesses giving free access to their space, homeowners allowing us, you know, to shoot in their space. Um, we shot one of the major two locations uh, in our own apartment, which um, at one point I really questioned how wise that was when there was like 40 people sweating, you know, <laughs> at a fake party and my bed flipped up in our bedroom and like, yeah. you know, 15 extras kind of like all huddling in, you know, our tiny space. But... Um, I don't think this film could have been possible in like New York or Los Angeles or places even like Austin, Texas, where I'm originally from. They're kind of jaded uh, about film production or look at you like, eh, how can I make a fast buck off of this and not really realize like I have no money. I'm so sorry. Right. Yeah. There's the 
I, yeah, I don't have the money. We hear that all the time. Like people that go to LA or New York, they definitely don't get this sense of a film community that exists there. And in Chicago, particularly in the independent scene, it's all people just sort of lifting themselves up by the bootstraps and other people, you know, the people in the city respect that whether it's a small business owner or another filmmaker that's respected in, in this area. So it's amazing to continue to hear this story of community, communal like strength, you know? Um, yeah, I think, you know, no one is getting rich here, you know, necessarily making the kind of films that I make. Um, and people like the fact of that the, the, the town is not an entertainment sort of industry town. Um, you feel more connected to sort of normal people's story. I mean, God bless HBO. I love, you know, uh, all, all the shows that are on there. But sometimes, again, it, it feels like... Um, you're seeing like LA stories, but they're just set in different cities, you know, it's, yeah, the, right. it's yeah. And even one of the things that I remember noticing, uh, in portrayals of Chicago recently was in the second season of stranger things famously. Oh God, yeah. Yeah. I, I think we might've even talked about this we when have. it happened. I've just, it just, it's, I'm just going through my head right in my now. craw for so long. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's a, a shot where they have the character 11 looking out onto the lake and you know she sees of she sees the skyline of chicago but you know very isn't she on the cta no she's she's like in some random she's like just kind of like park i guess okay but the the thing was is that very keen-eyed watchers were just like wait a second to get that shot of the skyline she would have had to be in the middle of lake michigan to see the (laughs) skyline as it were in that shot, she would have had to be in the middle of Lake Michigan. Like this shot doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you think that a lot of with these new productions, especially as we've talked about before, the Dick Wolf productions, Chicago Met, Chicago yeah. Fire, Chicago PD, um, and anything else is being shot in Chicago? What are they getting wrong? Um, well, I think one thing they're getting right is they're employing a, a lot of that's good. <laughs> our local crew, right. our talent. Um, you know, the actors that I used, Antoine McKay and Sarah Savini are both reoccurring characters on empire you know it's 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 keeping a full range of actors uh in this city which is wonderful um also i think it's really exciting shows like the shy and um the the red line the the which hopefully will move forward they have a duvernier show like there is um a sense here that there are again American stories that need to be told now, you know, from the Midwest, you know, there's a lot that's being sort of determined nationally. Um, And I think for the longest period of time, there was like, "Eh, it's the place I go to fly from LA to New York. Um, And so I I think what they're getting right is they're just uh, still paying attention um, to this huge uh, city and and to this huge region, um, so that's what I think they're they're getting right. I'm really excited by a lot of homegrown webisode stuff. So open True. television. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. Amar, Amar Christian has yeah. been helping revolutionize that. I mean, and he's there. I think Brown Girls got picked up by, by HBO. HBO. The T has been winning awards yep. left and right. So that homegrown that homegrown idea is really great and do you feel really part of that or you do you see yourself I do as part of that movement? I do and I feel like I want to be supportive of and I feel supported by that community I'm I'm on the jury this year uh for the Hugo award at um uh SIF and I it's wonderful to be able to meet somebody like B um from 
uh, the tea and and know that people, you know, maybe have a, a future staying here. Um, you know, that again, these kind of stories maybe couldn't have been told or even originated in another city. Um, and sometimes it's this, the sense of not having the resources makes you really plucky and determined mm-hmm. in a way that, um, you know, something about L.A. just, uh, it's where dreams go to die. There's this, this <laughs> sense of just, you or know. Or at least get what, jaded, right? Yeah, and it's like when everyone in every coffee shop is working on the, you know, their screenplay. Right. It sometimes it's just not inspiring. Right. No. There's a lot more, well, there are a lot more inspiring things happening here. Those Midwestern stories, especially as we grow so much more so much more diverse in the Midwest, um, you know, and, and already I think the Midwest is a pretty diverse place. We just, the stories like lay underneath the ground under this kind of like corn fed, right. you know, smiling, you know, uh, excuse me, let me sneak right past you there. Sort of oh. Midwestern charm. But like, there's so many interesting people here. What's it going to take to get these stories told, whether it's through cinema, whether it's through literature, poetry, how, what have you? Well, first and foremost, it's an audience and it's an educated audience and it's an audience that shows up and supports that kind of work. I mean, I believe that you need to be the change that you want to see in the world. And so when I have a weekend available and I have a choice of films that I'm going to go see and there's something made locally, I'm going to show up and spend my money mm-hmm. there because that it's like the equivalent of the the farmer's market you know if you want this to exist or especially if you're part of that community and you're not spending your money there i'm like mm, yeah you need to do a head check of like you know you got false consciousness going on about who are you or like right. why why should anyone support your own work if you're not also supporting um their work too so i think that would really help i think sh- shows that help spotlight um local talent are really great and you know lift them up and I think um, the more exposure, the better the shows are going to get, too. The more people can do their second, third, fourth film, um, you just learn a lot of things you wouldn't want to do again and you would want to do differently and better. So um, the city and the state provided money for the distribution of Rogers Park, which was really amazing. We took it to over 25 cities. You know, we were New York Times critics pick and L.A. Times. Great reviews. Got reviewed in Variety. We're like 100% fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. There we go. Like that would not have happened without a grant from the DK's office and a grant from um, the Illinois Arts uh, Council to promote Chicago work. So I hope that money keeps coming and going to artists um, because I I plan on staying here. I think anyone who stays here making it sustainable for them um, will uplift the community. Could we talk a little bit more about the exposure that your film has gotten because it's it's kind of fortuitous that we're talking now because you mentioned before we started that last year it premiered at the Chicago International Film Festival. Yeah, and I got to be on a uh, workshop yesterday at their Industry Days conference talking about the distribution effort that we did that was you know, done internally by um, our company. Um, so it, it was amazing how well it was received there, you know, sellout crowds. Um uh, we also, I kind of toured it around the city. So we showed it at the new 400, which you mentioned. It, it premiered at uh, Chicago, uh, at Cisco. But we also played like Beverly Arts Center, like the Wilmette Theater in Wilmette, um, Chicago filmmakers. Like I think sometimes local f- filmmakers maybe need to think about touring within the city. And we also toured within the state. I went to Springfield. I went to... Um, 
another city whose name I'm forgetting, but um, (laughs) where, you know, the big crowd showed up. Like, they obviously wanted to see work um, uh, made locally, and they wanted to see good work, you know, made locally. But I think sometimes filmmakers feel like, well, I've got to just make my money in New York or L.A. markets only. And and I don't necessarily think that that's where you're going to find your biggest audience. And I think even the kind of roadshow mentality and taking it to physical spaces is really becoming much more the way to go. A lot of people got caught up in the digital revolution. And I mean, even this film, I mean, it's available on Amazon. It's available on iTunes now. If you want to, you can watch it in the comfort of your own home. But when it comes to these smaller films, I found that people find a lot more success when they try to make it an event, when they try to make it a thing that you can go to and participate in. Maybe there's a Q&A. Maybe there's a cocktail hour, what have you. Uh, maybe both. Yeah, maybe both. <laughs> maybe it's a cocktail Q&A, you oh. know, one of those things. But I just, I am. I think the scene really builds when you do that tour within the city and even you know you get to the state level maybe even go on you know farther across the united states trying to show this story where do you see this business side of the art going what do you find to be the way forward for artists such as yourself i just think that if you have a um a career plan for the arts that you have to show up and it is putting on a show and you can't lament um, that you have to put in a lot of hard work uh, for distribution. I came out of the world of theater and like, you know, you're sick and have the flu and you show up and yeah. you do the show with your 101 degree, you know, temperature. Right. And, you know, the promise of digital, sadly, I think has been the promise of large corporations that have sort of corralled and, and um, aggregated, you know, these numbers and the money is not going back to the artists, you know, the, the, the sort of Amazon syndrome where they sort of figure out why, your work made a little money and then they create their own show, you know, that kind of fits the same demographic. And um, so artists are just going to have to be really savvy. And yes, showing up, I think, creates a sense of community. We're really all very atomized right now. We spend way too much time alone, like looking at our computer screens. And, you know, we're really social monkeys. You know, we grew up in these, you know, in evolutionarily, like we like hanging out with each other. We need to hang out with each other. So there is something still, I think, that young people especially are rediscovering about going to movies in the cinema and having the maker there. It does create the special opportunity to ask questions, um, grill them about maybe why you didn't like their film or like their <laughs> film but it, it's a special kind of thrill that you don't get when you get like 10 minutes into something that you're streaming like eh, i don't want to watch the rest of this right uh, it totally happens it like, absolutely all it, the time and uh you know i just i hate it too because i'm just like i want to feel like an active film viewer and I feel like at home I am, you know, I do my best, but then you're also just like in the comfort of your own house. You're on the couch, you got a cup of tea, you know, maybe your phone's sitting right there, yeah. you just got a text from your pal, and you know, it takes you out of the moment when really every film should be an experience. Uh, it's totally the cell phone. I lived before the cell phone, and I lived, yes. I've lived after the cell phone. I'm yeah, that old. How was that like? Uh, a mass ADD. Like, it really <laughs> is something that we have to train ourselves to. Where are these zones that we can go where we leave, you know, this thing behind mm-hmm. and have some space for ourselves? Because otherwise, you know, we're little Pavlovian animals. It's like, really? click, 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 click. Right. It's a hundred years of psychological theory behind 
this. Oh like, yeah, you know, we're getting that endorphin rush with the click. So, Ooh, man, but I, it feels I, good. It feels good. But I think seeing and living through the arc of a story over an hour and a half feels better, you know. And I feel like it does something for us that goes back to you know the dawn of time around a fire in a cave that I think we still really need. And if we're not getting it from one source, we might fall for other stories that are not as good. Mm-hmm. And do you think that the stories that are being churned out, like you talked about, just sort of the um, monotony of the stories that are coming out of L.A., do you think that we're do you think that that is helping contribute to kind of maybe the mass ADD is that people are seeing the films that are coming out and being like, oh, great, it's another, you know, not to shit on Taken, but oh, man, it's another old man action movie or for lack of a better <laughs> genre. You know, do you think that the stories are just getting a little vanilla, well, maybe the industry has always been risk averse, like right. it's always found something that makes money and then we'll run it into the ground. Right. Um, and there's always been people who are willing to take risks and sometimes they pay big and sometimes they hit big. And so thank God for something like Get Out or, you know, something that comes along where a studio and an artist takes some big risks and and kind of explodes our ideas about what we thought people wanted to see or not. There's a lot of people fired every year in Los Angeles because they think they know what people want to see and then the work that they produce ends up not making the money and then they're gone and then somebody else finds something and it's surprising and they take a risk and it makes a ton of money and suddenly they're the new expert that everyone... Right. And so, right. I just say keep making the work that you really love because you have no guarantee that anyone's going to like your work other than you. So if you're not at least pleasing yourself, you're going to please no one else. Yeah. And that's the frustrating thing about the execs is that, um, you know, it takes a lot of... I mean, I don't want to crap on every exec because, you know, they're just trying to do their jobs. They're part of, you know, a bigger machine and all that kind of stuff. But to be a filmmaker, it requ- it does require a lot of knowledge. Even even the worst filmmakers need to know how to frame a shot. They need to know how all this technical know-how and how to communicate a story visually. To be a Hollywood executive or producer, you just need to be like, I don't know, Barbara Streisand's ex-boyfriend. Exactly. John Peters. Or just have good I'm luck gonna, with one thing, maybe. Here, I'm going to do a John Peters call-out post because what the hell? He, he just produced A Star is Born. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, John Peters has been in the business for a long time. He started out as like a hairdresser for the stars and then started going out with Barbara Streisand. And then he started producing movies like Wild Wild West with Will Smith. And like he had this obsession with spiders. And oh, yeah. Yeah. It's just, he, he just has, he's just fails upward. And now, but it's so weird because now he's officially produced a potentially best picture winning film. Uh, he's going to, at the very least, win a ton of accolades internally for getting this movie off the ground, despite who really knows what he actually did to to get to that point i mean a spider uh, he wanted the film to be called a spider was born yeah. initially <laughs> bring in the mechanical spider <laughs> from from wild wild west yeah you- i just i i can't even pay attention to that kind of stuff i feel like um if you pay attention and you chase after that's a very small you know segment of the market that's that's sort of paying attention to those big blockbusters um and the vast majority of the industry is sort of toiling away on, you know, passion projects or things that, you know, might not 
half a million people or millions of people see the work, but those people who do see the work are going to be affected. I also know there there are a lot of creative producers in the world, and and um, it's true. The producers that I've worked with, I've been really fortunate, give great notes in the edit room, or are able to look at a script and see what's really special about it, but also you know help you get rid of scenes that are going to be expensive that don't necessarily add to the story. Um, and as a director, you have to be open. It's a real, it's a group art form. It is not, unless you're like an experimental animator painting on every frame, you're dealing with groups of people. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think a lot of people don't understand that about filmmaking, that without my screenwriter, without these four actors, without the DP and the editor, um, it would not be the, f- the film that it was. I think that the director is just the person who stays with the project the longest. Like they're, <laughs> right. they're there at the beginning and they're probably still wishing, you know, more people are writing good reviews on Amazon prime about it you know, <laughs> years after it's been out. So we're running a little bit out of time. Um, so I just want to get to real quick. What's next for you? Um, obviously Rogers park is completed, distributed, but even then, you know, it still has a life and you're still, you know, nurturing it a lot. So, What's next for Rogers Park and what's next for you as just a director in general? Yeah, I'm working on two projects. One with the same writer with Rogers Park that's about an African-American woman who goes to the Apostle Islands in Wisconsin and has a kind of strange encounter uh, with a, a couple... Um, one of them is a white man who she knew growing up on the islands. And so we've been going up to upstate Wisconsin to scouting that place, which is just absolutely amazing. It's wonderful. Tom and I were just up there yeah, oh, last it's, weekend. It's mind-blowing. And so I'm really excited about that. And then we have another project I've been developing with another writer here, uh, Felister Sigadu, that's about elder care and the people who take care of oh, people wow. in homes and the kind of people who receive care. So it's about an African-American woman on the south side who comes up to the north side and the kind of struggles that she goes through um, being an elder care worker. Um, and my mother recently, um, not somewhat recently, um, was uh, you know diagnosed with dementia, dementia, has gone into a nursing home. That whole process of the aid workers being so heroic and sort of underpaid from that industry. And I think a lot of we're, we're going to face a huge crisis in this country with elder care, with the baby boomers coming. And um, yeah. I think it's something Agreed. where, yeah, hopefully it'll get the same kind of attention. Well, let's hope so because these are sto- these are real stories. Um, and hopefully like Rogers Park, they're going to be so successful and uh, bring forth these stories that are relevant and meet people, hit people where they live. And uh, we can all come out and support it. Again, Kyle Henry, director of Rogers Park. uh, Thank you so much for joining us on the program. Thank you for having me on. And I will say that I have to add this. And when Rogers Park played at the new 400, sold out every single night. Every single night. So check it out on Amazon Prime. Check it out on Vudu. Check it out on iTunes. But check it out on Vudu. Yeah. We are Walmart shills here at Nuco <laughs> Give me money, Walls. Come on, man. <laughs> All right. You've been listening to Noco Cinema here on WGM Plus. We are your guide to cinema here in the city of Chicago. I am Tom Hush. And I'm Connor Cornelius. And we'll see you all next time. Bye.